TheYeshiva.net Yesterday in Israel there was a funeral. They say close to 750,000 Jews, or half a million Jews. Hagar Reb Chaim Kanevsky of Blessed Memory. Yeah, this is a Jew who uh, was born in 1928 in Pinsk. That's Russia, Belarus, then I think it was Poland. Uh, No, it was Belarus, I think, Belarus, Lithuania. He moved to Israel in 1934 with his father, the Stipler, Rabbi Yaakov Yisrael Kanevsky, uh, who was a name after Rabbi Yaakov Yisrael of Cherkas, who was a son-in-law of the Mittler Rebbe, a brother-in-law of the Tzemach Tzedek. And uh, they settled in Bnei Brak. And, you know, I think for mo- probably for around 85, 86 years, a Jew who sat for around... A- 18 hours a day and learned in a little room. So that's uh, very special. Very special. And he was a very he was a very private person. Last few years, they turned him into a very famous person. But on his own, he was not... Uh, I don't think he needed it at all. So we're going to start a new mimer today. Mitzvah Steglachas Matzayda. Please open it up. If you're in the Zoom, go to the chat. If you're on the yeshiva.net, you have the source sheet. Let me tell you what this is. This is from a sefer called Derech Mitzvah Secha. Derech Mitzvah Secha. Derech Mitzvah Secha. Tamei HaMitzvahs. Is a sefer that was writ- written. Here you see the jacket, the cover. Was written by the Tzemach Tzedek. A few words about the Tzemach Tzedek. The Tzemach Tzedek is the third Rebbe in the dynasty of Chabad. The founder of Chabad, you all know, is the Alter Rebbe, Rabbi Schneir Zalman of Liadi, who was a student of the Magad, who was a student of the Baal Shem Tov. The Alter Rebbe was born Tovkov Hay, 1745, and he passed away 1812. He had children. One of his sons, Rabbi Doiv Ber, Rabbeinu Doiv Ber, succeeded him after his passing. He's known in Chabad as the Mittler Rebbe, the middle, the middle Rebbe, in contrast to the Alter Rebbe, the older Rebbe, Rabbeinu Doiv Ber. He passed away in the year Tovkuf Pei Ches. That's 1827, on In other words, his leadership began after the Alter Rebbe's passing, which was Tovkuf Ayin Gimel, 1812, the end of 1812, December 1812. And his leadership lasted around 15 years till 1828. Tovkuf Pei A year later, the leadership of Chabad went over to his son-in-law. Not to his son, to his son-in-law. The Tzemach Tzedek. Tzemach Tzedek's name was Rebbe Menachem Mendel of Lubavitch. Rebbe Menachem Mendel. Rebbe Menachem Mendel. And he, his mother, Dvaraleya, was a daughter of the Alter Rebbe. And also his wife, Chayamushka, was a daughter of the Mittler Rebbe. So he was the Mittler Rebbe's nephew, and he was the Mittler Rebbe's son-in-law. Is that clear? In other words, the Alter Rebbe had a son, Rabbeinu Doiv, but he had a daughter, Dvaraleya. She had a son, Menachem Mendel, who became the Tzemach Tzedek. She died very, very young. It's a whole story about that. It's not for now. And the Alter Rebbe raised her orphan. Menachem Mendel, he was raised on the lap and the bosom of the Alter Rebbe in his home. He was like his father and his mother. He took care of him. So they had a very close relationship. When the Mittler Rebbe passed away, the Tzemach Tzedek, who was both the son-in-law of the Mittler Rebbe and the nephew of the Mittler Rebbe, became the third Rebbe of Lubavitch. He lived in the city of Lubavitch. And he, 
he passed away, Tafresh Chavav, which is 1866, before Pesach, Yud Gimelnes. Just, just for history purposes, the Rebbe, the Lubavitcher Rebbe, was named after him, because he was a grandson, and the Lubavitcher Rebbe's wife, Chaya Mushka, was named after the Tzemach Tzedek's wife, who's also Chaya Mushka, a daughter of the Mittler Rebbe. Tzemach Tzedek was one of the great minds of his generation and of many generations. And he is one of the people who took the Alter Rebbe's teachings and really developed them in a very, very powerful and organized and structured way. As I once heard from the Rebbe, who said it from earlier, that the Alter Rebbe was the Chachma of Chassidus, the Mittler Rebbe was the Bina of Chassidus, and the Tzemach Tzedek was the Das of Chassidus. There's Chachma, Bina, Das. I'm not going to get into exactly what it means now, but if you learn their Svarim well and deeply, you see the difference. Chachma, Bina, Das. One of the classics of the Tzemach Tzedek is a sefer called Derech Mitzvah Secha. This sefer. What is it? He goes through many mitzvahs of the 630 mitzvahs and he explains the spiritual, emotional, psychological, metaphysical Kabbalistic and Hasidic meaning behind the mitzvah. Every mitzvah, eating matzah, right? Eating matzah, or blowing shoifer, or counting the oimer. Any mitzvah, there is the concrete element of the mitzvah. I have to hear the shoifer, I have to eat the matzah, I have to read the megillah, I have to light Hanukkah candles, I have to light Shabbos candles. But that's one part of the mitzvah. Then there is the inner dimension of the mitzvah, what it does to my mind, to my soul, to my heart, to my body. And even those mitzvahs that don't apply today, because let's say there's no Beis HaMikdash, the mitzvahs of bringing offerings, still the spiritual dimension of the mitzvah is always applicable. So Derech Mitzvah is the Sefer HaMitzvah of the Tzemach Tzedek. He goes through many mitzvahs, according to the order of the famous Sefer HaChinuch, which is an encyclopedic list of all the mitzvahs, and he explains the deeper dimension of the mitzvahs. Today we're going to do one of those mitzvahs. It's going to be a series of a few classes. And as you see on top, it's mitzvahs taglachas mitzvah. If you have a derech mitzvah secha, you can use the book. It's page 208 or daf kuv dalar amid beis, 104b. Or here we have the source sheet, so we go straight to that page. Mitzvahs taglachas mitzvah. Why did, I, why did I choose this mitzvah? First of all, it's going to be the upcoming parshias. This parshish shmini deals with purity and impurity. And tazriya and mitzvah deals with leprosy and, and the purity of a leprosy. When he becomes pure, she becomes pure. And a few weeks later, Nasai, uh, down the line, Shavuos time was the, the parasha of Naziris, and uh, the parasha of Saita talks about here. We'll see all these things, but it's connected right away to the parashas of these coming weeks. So I chose it. And also the theme, obviously, is a theme that's very, very uh, powerful and relevant. The Maimer has two sections. One, the section deals with here. What is the Jewish approach to here? It deals with questions like, why does a Nazarite grow his hair? And why did the Levites in the desert have to cut their hair? And why should a married woman cut, uh, cover her hair? What's, this, what's the meaning of here in Judaism? Is here good? Is here uh, sensual? Is here constructive? Is here dangerous? Is here gorgeous? Do we love here? Are we, are we scared of here? Are we allergic to here? What's the relationship of Judaism to here? Here as in Cyrus in Hebrew, Cyrus, Cyrus. 
And as the Tzadik will say, we'll see contradictory messages. Right? Do you leave your hair long? Do you not leave your hair long? What's, what's the relationship of Judaism to here? Here is a very, uh, it's a sensitive issue here. It's not, uh, there's a lot of significance in here, which is why you see that people like to express themselves through their hair. <laughs> I can't express myself much through my hair because I don't have much. But uh, some people express, so they, they at least try to express themselves through their hair. That's the first part of the Mimer. The second half of the Mimer deals with how people handle the pressures of making a living. The anxiety and stress that comes with the fact that all of us need money to live, or at least many of us need money to live, and our involvement in it, what's the right balance between family and money, what's the right balance between God and, and, and having a job, what's the right balance between serenity and tranquility and taking your job seriously, which is obviously a, a timeless issue in history from when Adam Arishan had to work to make a living until today. But I think today, in the age of anxiety, these issues become even more acute and relevant, at least equally and powerfully relevant today as well. Despite all of the progress that was made in uh, with the Industrial Revolution and the Computer Revolution and the Internet Revolution and many other revolutions, since the Tzemach Tzedek's days, the Tzemach Tzedek was born Tovkov Memtes, 1789, Erev the day before Rosh Hashanah. As I said, he passed away Tovrej Chavov, which is 1866. Yud Gimel Nissen. He was born Erev Rosh Hashanah, passed away Yud Gimel Nissen. Let's start the Maimer. We're going to start the first piece today, and then we're going to continue this over a few shiurim, a few classes. Mitzvah Teglachas Metzairah. This is the mitzvah that deals with the shaving or the cutting off of the hair of the Metzairah of the leper. And he's going to explain. This is Mitzvah Kuf Ayin Dalad, Mitzvah 174 in Sefer HaChinuch. I don't know how familiar you are with Sefer HaChinuch. Sefer HaChinuch, we don't even know its author. But it's one of the cardinal and important books in Jewish literature. It was written, they say, in the probably in the 11th century or the 12th century, some say by Rabbi Aaron Halevi of Spain, and it's an encyclopedia of all the 613 mitzvahs, mitzvah by mitzvah, based on the order of the portions. It gives you a summation of the mitzvah, and it gives you the reason for the mitzvah. From the perspective of the Sefer HaChinuch, it's a very fundamental, brief, concise, it's a good work to have a, a very general and brief mastery of what the 613 mitzvahs are. So mitzvah 174 from, from 613 is in Parshas Tazriya and then in Parshas Metzairah. What's the mitzvah? She'yigaleach ha-metzairah kol That the metzairah, the leper, should shave, should cut all of his hair when he becomes purified. She'nemar, the Pasuk says, this is Sefer Vayikra, Perik Yudal at Pasuk Tess. On the seventh day, he should cut all of his hair, the hair on the head, the hair on the beard, of the beard, on the eyebrows, and all of his hair, he should cut. Let me just give you the context. In the Parshish Tazriya Metzora, the Torah discusses the symptoms of what we call Tzaras. We don't have an exact translation for Tzaras because we usually translate it as leprosy. But leprosy is a skin disease, but it's not exactly what tsaras is. It's just the closest English term to tsaras. Tsaras are symptoms that affected a person's skin. Usually there was a white patch in the skin, and then the hair became white. 
various symptoms of different shades, different colors of white that can affect a person's skin. And under certain conditions, not all, the person, the man or the woman was deemed a mitzayra. And there was a process of cleansing. Now these symptoms we don't have today anymore. There's a Maimir in Lakuta Torah, Parashas Tazriya, which we learned a few years ago. It's on the yeshiva.net and Parashas Tazriya. The Alter Rebbe says, what happened? Why do these symptoms not exist anymore? And therefore, these halachas are not relevant, not because they're not relevant, they're relevant, but the symptoms are not here. So what does the Torah say? What happens on the day that the symptoms are gone? So the Kayan comes to examine the Mitzayra, and then there's a whole process of how he or she goes through the cleansing process of the Tzaras, of the leprosy. So the Torah says that uh, after the, the Mitzayra bathes, they bathe themselves, they, uh, they, uh, they clean all their clothes and cut all the hair, and bathe themselves, go to the mikveh. So after that, there's a process where <coughs> the Mitzrayah waits for seven days. And then on the seventh day, after the purification, and there's a whole process of the purification with two birds. I'm not going to get into all the details now because it's not directly relevant, but you can look it up at the beginning of Parshas Tazriya. The whole process. After seven days, it says that the Mitzrayah needs to cut all of his hair. And that's what he's discussing here. And when you say all of his hair... It's literally his head, his beard, his eyebrows, and all of his hair that he shaves off. And afterwards, he becomes pure on the eighth day, on the eighth day of this process. He brings an offering in the Mishkan of the Besamikdash. And as the Torah says, he's completely pure and life goes back to normal. So this is a mitzvah, literally to cut his hair. Amru Zal. Our sages said, our sages of blessed memory said, People take haircuts all the time, but it's not a mitzvah. But there are three types of haircuts that are a mitzvah. Three. Hanazir, v'hametzayra, v'halavim. There were three types of people. The Nazarite, as we'll soon see, the Mitzayra, the leper, and the Levites, the Levim. Negoyim perik yudalad mishnadalad. V'ulam, however, but they're not identical. There's a mitzvah in Parshas Baaloischa that all the Leviim in the desert had to shave off all their hair. But it was a temporary mitzvah, meaning it was not a mitzvah that would be continued over the generations. And that's why it didn't go into the list of 630 mitzvahs. Because 630 mitzvahs only includes mitzvahs that are eternal, that are timeless, that will continue for the generations. Now when we say that, let me explain what that means. It doesn't mean necessarily that you're going to do every one of those mitzvahs during all the times. But it means that the mitzvah is applicable to all times. If the circumstances are there, the mitzvah is applicable. But then there are mitzvahs that even if the circumstances are there, they're not applicable for all times. They were mitzvahs that were given at a specific moment, not to be repeated at a later point. You have such mitzvahs. One of them is, for example, there was a mitzvah, one of them is this example, the Leviim in the desert, who were commanded in Parshas Baloischa, a whole parsha over there, to shave off their hair. Not the Kayanim. And by the way, the Medrash says that one of the reasons that Kairach staged a rebellion against Aaron 
was because Aaron was a Kayin Gadol, and Kairach was his cousin, and Kairach was a Levite, a Levi, and he shaved. And his wife, <laughs> or other people said, look at the difference, Aaron Hataza Shena Lange Bard and Duot, and Bustamagulach. You're, you're like clean shaven. Look at Aaron, right? The Pusik says in Tehillim, Scan Aaron, yeah, <laughs> So Kairach got very jealous because he didn't have, uh, today maybe it would be the other way around. Kairach would appreciate his looks. Depends, I guess, what context. But this was one of the reasons why Kairach got very upset. So the Madras says he got upset because Aaron had this Langebard and Kairach didn't. But that was not a mitzvah for generations that Levium have to shave. All they're here. It was a unique thing in the Midbar. Now we're going to see why. That's a strange mitzvah. What do you care if a person has hair? Okay, we'll see. But this is a mitzvah that's not forever. It's only then. In other words, the Levim later did not do it. It was only in the Midbar, in the desert. Very, very limited time frame for the mitzvah. Now, somebody's asking, what about all the mitzvahs connected to the Beis HaMikdash are also only a limited time frame? No, they're not. Those are eternal mitzvahs. You need a Beis HaMikdash. But if there would be a Beis HaMikdash, you would have these mitzvahs. There are certain mitzvahs that you need certain conditions to fulfill them, but they're timeless. For example, eating matzah on Pesach. It's not all year, it's on Pesach. But whenever there's a Pesach, there's a mitzvah to eat matzah. When there's a Beis HaMikdash, there's a mitzvah to bring offerings. But it's a timeless mitzvah. The mitzvah of the Leviim was not timeless. It was only during the desert, even though there were Leviim afterwards. That's a very, very big distinction. These mitzvahs do not make it into the list of 630 mitzvahs. You want another example? Um, Moshe told the Jews that when they offer the carbon Pesach in Egypt, they had to put blood on the door. Yeah, it's not a mitzvah that goes into the list. Why? Because it was never repeated. It was just that year. Anything that was only temporary, it's not continuing, doesn't go on the list of 650 mitzvahs. It was a mitzvah that God gave for that time. Not for any other time. This is the mitzvah of, of shaving the living. Next. The giluach mitzvah, but the shaving of the mitzvah and the nazir, this is for generations. Of course, you have to have the circumstances. You'll say there's no lepers today. You're right. But if there would be a leper today, would the mitzvah apply? Yeah. If there would be a leper and a base hamikdash, the mitzvah would apply. So it's called a mitzvah for generations. Other mitzvahs, even if the circumstances are there, they don't apply. And the same is true the mitzvah of a nazir, who also there's also a concept of shaving the hair. And that's why we see that the Rambam and the Sefer Hachinuch, the shaving of the nazir is also a mitzvah. It's part of the mitzvah 397. What's the mitzvah? The mitzvah is, this is later in the Chumash and Parshas Nasseh. And very briefly, again, I'm just going to do briefly so you know, we, we understand the context of it. The Torah speaks about a person who decides that he wants to be, or she wants to be a Nazirite. The most famous Nazirite in Jewish history was who? Shimshin. Shimshin, Samson. In fact... As we're going to understand a little later, Shimshin, his whole strength came from his hair, right? When Delilah, when Delilah found out the secret of Shimshin's hair and the Philistines managed to cut Shimshin's hair, they could abduct him, they could kidnap him, and ultimately Shimshin could not, uh, could not, Shimshin did not survive. But the concept of a Nazir is that a person decides he wants to segregate himself, a man or a woman, they want to segregate themselves somewhat from the material, physical world and live a life of 
aloofness or sacredness or sublimity. So, of course, they're not allowed to become impurified through a corpse, and there's no intoxication, there's no wine, and there's no grapes. And one of the things is the Nazar is not allowed to cut his or her hair. Suddenly, the hair has to grow and grow long. You're not allowed to touch the hair all the days that he wants to be a Nazar. Now, you have a Nazar Oilam. You have people who are a Nazar for life. Shimshin, Shmuel, Afshalim. They are allowed to, so for life they don't cut their hair, but because if it becomes very heavy, they're allowed to once a year make it a little lighter simply because of the pressure. But during the time, let's say I want to be a Nazar for 30 days or for a year, for five years. I'm not going to grow my hair. If you ever see the Rakachavar, the Rakachavar God, and you ever saw pictures of Yosef Rosen, he has very long hair. And there's always a question, did he accept upon himself in his zeros? That would be strange. Then he couldn't make Kiddush Friday night and Yom Tif. It's not so clear what happened with the Rakachavar, but he had very long hair. You ever saw the Rakachavar? Rabbeinu Yosef Rosen passed away in 1936. He was the Sarah Torah, uh, one of the greatest minds in Jewish, in recent Jewish history, or maybe even of earlier. Rakachavar gone, and he had long, long hair, long hair. So there's different speculations what happened, but the halachas of Nazirus apply even today. They apply even today. In Israel, there was somebody, you remember? Rabbi David Hanazir, Rabbeinu Rabbi David Hanazir. Rabbi, the Rav of Hefer, Rabbi Shar Yashav Koyen, his father, Rabbi David Cohen, he was known as the Nazir. He had long hair. You want to say, if it called Said Hanavua, the secret of prophecy, he was a student of Rav Avram Yitzchak HaKoyen Kuk, the first chief rabbi. So this is the concept of a Nazir. So the Torah says that during the days of the Nazirs, he's not allowed to cut the hair. But what happens if suddenly he finds himself impure, she finds himself impure? For example, somebody dies in the house, God forbid. And the Nazar becomes impure. They didn't do it intentionally. So what's the halacha? The halacha is that the Nazar has to go through purity, the regular purity of somebody who becomes impure. You have to sprinkle the, the ashes and the water of the red heifer on the third day and on the seventh day. That's going to be this week's parasha, parasha's para. And on the seventh day, the Nazar again has to shave his hair. He has to shave his head, shave his head, which he allowed the hair to grow long. And then on the eighth day, he has to bring offerings because he became suddenly impure. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> and then he goes back, he resumes the count. So he resumes the count. So here again, on the seventh day from the impurity, there's a mitzvah for the Nazir to cut off his hair and start the process all again. And then there's the whole procedure, what happens when the Nazir finishes his time frame of Nazirus. What does he do? He brings offerings. It's a whole process. And when he brings those offerings, it says that near the Mishkan, or near the Beis Hamikdash, at the entrance of the Ayal Maya, the Nazir shaves his head. And we take the hair of the Nazirite's head, and it's put on the fire that is under the feast peace offering. So the hair of the Nazir now becomes part of the Karbonis. It's put on the fire that is under the shlamim, one of the offerings that he brings, a carbon shlamim, and the hair is burnt in that fire. And then there's the whole process of what they do with the offerings and who eats it and uh, how it gets cooked. And then the Nazar goes back to regular life. He could drink wine and he could just resume regular life. So here we have three situations where there's a mitzvah to cut hair. When we have the mitzvah, as we discussed, we have the Levi and we have the Nazir. The difference is, remember, the Levi is only a temporary mitzvah. The Nazir and the Mitzvah are mitzvahs that are for eternity if the circumstances 
call for them. If the Shemitah don't call for them, they don't call for them. That's what he says. The Nazir, when his days are up, his time frame from Naziris is up, there's a mitzvah that he cuts his hair and he brings his offerings. And also, if by mistake he becomes Tameh, not by mistake. He becomes Tamei. Shenema beseder nosay vigila chanazir. The nazir has to shave. Achzau dafke b'meloyes yimei nizre. But that's only when his time is up. Aikishenitma. Or if he becomes impure during his days of being a nazir. Aikishenitma. Filu beemtsi yimei nizre. If he becomes Tamei even in the middle of the era of the time frame of his nazirus mitzvah sheigalech v'yavi carbon. It's a mitzvah that he should. Shave his hair on his head and bring a carbon. And then he resumes the mitzvah of Nazirus, and again he grows his hair like he did it in the beginning in holiness. During that number that he prohibited himself, he made a commitment to. So let's say I made a commitment that I want to be a Nazir for one year, 12 months. Okay? After six months, suddenly I become impure. Let's say by mistake. I didn't mean it. Somebody died, I touched the corpse, I'm in the same tent. So what's the mitzvah? The mitzvah is I have to cut my hair and start all over again. Why? Because I became tummy in the middle. What if I didn't become tummy? At the end of the 12 months, I go I, to the base of Mikdash, I bring my karbonas, and again, I shave my hair. I will be made But while you're a nazir, you're not allowed to touch your hair. You're not allowed to shave. Kamay shekasav, mitzvah shinai in gimel, this is mitzvah. 373 in the Chinuch. Now let it cut his ear. A razor is now let it go over his head. This is Parshas Nase, the book of Numbers, chapter 6, verse 5. Not only are you not allowed to, mitzvah's essay, it's a positive mitzvah to let his hair grow. This is mitzvah 374. It's not just it's not just you're not allowed to shave your hair. On the contrary, just like it's a mitzvah to put on tefillin. And it's a mitzvah to hear shoifah. It's a mitzvah to shake lulav. It's a mitzvah to give charity. It's a mitzvah for him to let his hair grow long. What does it say? He should be holy. Gadol para. What's gadol para? Uh, gadol para is to grow his hair. Gadol para. Para is the hair. Sa'aroshi, the hair on top of his head. He has to let grow. So what did we learn till now? What's the summation? The summation is that the Mishnah tells us there are three instances where the Torah wants a person. It's a mitzvah. It's not just a voluntary. It's a mitzvah to cut, shave the hair, which is a mitzvah, a levi during the desert, not afterwards, and a nazir. But with a nazir, it's only when he finishes or she finishes. But the nazir is man or woman, no difference. When he or she finishes the nazirus time frame, before that, they're not allowed to cut their hair. They have to let it grow and grow and grow. And if it's a nazir for 10 years or 20 years, your hair is going to be long. <laughs> and you're not allowed to cut it. It's a mitzvah to let the hair grow. If you become tummy, before you start again, you have to cut it. And at the end of the nazirus, again, you cut the hair. And that's what the Mishnah means in the Goyim, that there's three situations where we shave and it's a mitzvah. Lahavin <laughs> kolza. To understand this. What is the meaning of this? In other words, what is the meaning behind this mitzvah? What's the significance of here? 
Why is the Nazir not let to cut his hair, but then he has to cut his hair? Why should the Levi cut his hair and not the Kayan? Why should the Mitzayda cut his hair? What do you care if he doesn't cut his hair? Let him, let him leave his hair. Why doesn't it apply to other people? Lahavin calls that to understand this. We can explain all of this based on what we heard. Now what does he mean what we heard? When he says what we heard, it means what we heard from my grandfather. He doesn't even specify because it's so clear. What we heard is the title that we heard from my grandfather. He says what we heard. Because it wasn't just what he heard himself. It was a maimer that the Alter Rebbe said. Parshas Kiseitze Tovkuf Samach Hei. I believe 1805. 1805. Parshas Kiseitze. There's a maimer from the Alter Rebbe. And the Tzavach is going to rephrase here what we heard. He was a young man. But he grew up by his grandfather. So he heard it as well. A maimer that we heard from the Alter Rebbe. And based on that teaching of the Alter Rebbe. This maimer is going to be developed. Based on what we hear. There's another fascinating instance where the Torah speaks about shaving. What is that? Dvarim chaf alef yudbeiz parshas kiseitzi shenemar biyifas toyer. The mitzvah that's discussed. Do you remember eshes yifas toyer and parshas kiseitzi? Let me give you. Let me give you again the context, so we will understand the point. The Torah says in parshas kiseitzi, it's a very unique and uh, unusual mitzvah. And obviously, it's a, it's a complex mitzvah. And the mitzvah is, Kiseitzi la if you go out to war, and uh, as you know, people during war, war is not a simple thing. Uh, sadly, we're all, uh, our world is now engulfed in the war between Russia and Ukraine. But war, it's not just the casualties of war. Of course, the victims of war the death, the wounded, the humanitarian crisis, the starvation, the illness, the etc., etc. It's also the way it affects the soldiers. Even those who survive, we're not only talking about those who are killed and wounded, even those who survive. The PTSD, I don't know if you know that the term PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, is not an old term. It was coined in recent decades, based on doctors and psychologists who were dealing with soldiers who came back from Vietnam. If you're familiar with the history of it, it's a very interesting history. It's not for now to get into, but this is when they realized there's a syndrome called post-traumatic stress disorder that was not part of the ancient diagnosis. For thousands of years it existed, but there's no diagnosis. Now here's the word, here's the, the, the we have, always have to understand. When we don't have language for something, it doesn't exist. Not because it doesn't exist, but because we don't know how to talk about it. That's why it's so important when children are growing up that we give language to their emotions. Because if not, they're not allowed to legitimize their emotions, right? If, 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 if you can't talk about emotions in the house, what happens? If I'm a child and I'm having a lot of emotions... So I say, I must be Meshigah, right? I must be crazy, or I must be bad, because this is like not part, there's no language for it, there's no language for it, it can't exist. So what I'm feeling is either I'm just a weird, weird, weird person, or a very, very big problem case. And it can create a lot of, a lot of not unnecessary conflict and tension and anxiety. So language is so important. Language is very, very important. This mitzvah, articulates and pays tribute to the crazy PTSD, not just when you come back from war, of course, but even more when you're in the, in the conflict, the impulses are crazy. 
people see death all over the place. And something happens to you. You see your own friends die. And there's certain instincts that we don't want to know about that come out. It's not a simple thing. And this is the uniqueness. You can't understand the beginning of this mitzvah without understanding this. That the Torah understood what happens to people, soldiers during war. And therefore the Torah says you're going to see a woman. And by war, there's no no rules before Geneva Convention. But in Torah, there's always a Geneva Convention. So Torah doesn't tell the soldier, just be a good person, go back to yeshiva. He's in a war zone. So the Torah prescribes the way to do it with limits in order to help this soldier deal with the situation under the circumstances. So it's not a simple mitzvah to understand. Chazal say about this mitzvah, Dibre Torah Keneged Yetzirah. The Torah here is talking about the Yetzirah of war, which could bring to the worst, worst, worst atrocities. And therefore to ignore it and make believe nothing is happening, this person is overwhelmed. And if you don't let him have any of it, it can bring further consequence. A very interesting mitzvah. So there's like a certain compromise, which is very hard for us to understand, because thank God, most of us are living in prosperity, and we're very irritated by such a mitzvah. I'm just being frank with you. But if you understand the circumstances, you can appreciate the mitzvah. What's the mitzvah? So it says, you go to war. It's the beginning of Parashat Kisait. Among the captivity, those taken captive, you see a woman, and she's beautiful. And the soldier has a desire for her. He has a desire for her. So the Torah says something fascinating. He says, okay, okay, I hear. But there's a process. Do not act just on raw, raw, raw impulse, which can cause untold harm to you and to her, and you're going to later regret it. So the Torah says, take her to the house. You could take her to the house. And here there's a mitzvah of a gilches roisha. Allow her to shave, allow her, allow her to shave her head. She should shave her head. Her nails should grow. Remove the garments of the captivity from her. Let her dwell in your house. You have to feed her, take care of her, and let her weep for her father and mother for a full month. Months. For a full month. And then you can be with her physically, and you could live with her, and you can marry her. But if you did not desire her, then you don't keep her. You send her free, let her go back to her nation, let her go back to her people. Do not sell her for money. In ancient uh, laws of in ancient times when there was slavery, do not enslave her. You have afflicted her, you have taken her. She was in combat, she's a victim of combat. You don't want to marry her, you're not going to treat her as a spouse. Fine, but let her go. Let her go free, let her go back. This is a very, very interesting mitzvah. Interesting, complex, sensitive, and nuanced mitzvah. What does it mean? Okay, so I'm just going to explain this very briefly because we want to get to the explanation of the Tzamech Tzadok. The Torah is responding to the inflamed passion of a soldier in battle. So he sees a woman among the enemy captives. He feels an uncontrollable desire for her. I don't have to elaborate what used to happen in war zones with men, soldiers, women, children. You could read about this in history of war, not only in ancient times, but even in modern times, in very, very, with very, very sophisticated and apparently um, uh, 
law-abiding citizens and soldiers who otherwise would be mentioned. It's not a simple thing. So the Torah recognizes that this soldier who has this uncontrollable desire may not be able to restrain himself. So what do we do? You tell him, don't do anything, don't do anything. Be a mensch, take out your Gemara and start learning. But that may lead to just an absolute breakdown of the system and uh, and really, really negative consequences. So the Torah provides an avenue for the lustful soldier to satisfy his desire. And I find this to be a fascinating mitzvah. You can't just destroy lust. Don't, don't, have a, don't lust. Go be a mensch. He's in war. There's death all over the place. Either you acknowledge the lust and you somehow harness it, or you lose it. He's going to lose it. It's a very interesting mitzvah. Now you could say, no, no, he's very disciplined. You have to know war. <laughs> if you don't know war, you don't know war. If you know war. So the Torah wants to provide an avenue for the lustful soldier. Why? So that it will cool off before he causes more harm. It's a very fascinating psychological way of dealing with it. As I told you, our sages say, This is a, a, a mitzvah that's a response to the Yitzhahara. Now, according to Rashi, and Rambam's understanding of this of this mitzvah, the soldier is not allowed to touch the woman. He's not allowed to chas v'shalem, molest, violate the woman. Not allowed to. He's permitted to take her, and she should go through the process the Torah describes. And then they can get married. Then they can get married. Now, since he knows that she will become permitted later, so the Torah hopes he's willing to wait, rather than do something right now which is inappropriate. This is how Rashi and the Rambam say it. I should just add that there are some commentators who say that he's allowed to have relations with her one time, even before this whole process of conversion and weeping for her parents, and then she makes a decision, he makes a decision, does he want to be marry her or not? But after that one time, never again, before we go through this whole procedure. That's other opinions. Rashi and Ramam disagree. says he has to wait completely. According to either interpretation, the purpose of the delay is so that the captor's desire will evaporate, will cool down during this time, and he'll look at her. She's a woman. She has a family. She has a nation. Hopefully they're alive, maybe not, and she'll go free. That's mitzvah's Eishas Yifasta. There's a lot more to say about this, but that's the key. One of the things is Vigilches Raisha. Sometimes the way they used to dress up the women, what used to happen is, this is interesting, they used to, uh, it's another tragedy, they used to dress up the girls and the women in war with very, very beautiful clothes and they would adore them, their body and their physique because they wanted to lure, lure the they wanted to lure the Jewish men. We see that by Midian and Moyev, that the women are the ones who lured them into their emotional trap, and then they had them serve idolatry. So the Torah knew that. The Torah says, you know, sometimes you're overwhelmed from the first sight, so shave her hair, take off the clothes, let her weep for her parents. Don't just jump into it. And then you'll see if there's a real relationship here. Because so many relationships are fake. Now this teaches us something else. A lot of relationships are fake. You get overwhelmed by a sight just because you're in a difficult state. So you fall in love, I have a crush, I'm overwhelmed, yeah, I want you for life. 
And then after a few years, it's al-chalom shechalom ma'acherem al-acherem. Such an important mitzvah. The Torah says, patience. Let's see without the fancy clothes, without the beautiful hair, without the long nails. That's a very interesting mitzvah. A lot of things, they schlep you into temptation because it's so powerful. There's an alert and it triggers something in you. This deep void, this deep need, this deep lust. But if you wait a month and you get rid of the outer stuff, the pneumius is this not for you? She's not for you. Let her go back. So it's a very, very interesting mitzvah. You always have to tell people, you know, these things, you're making a decision for life. Wait, wait a little bit. See what's behind. I can't wait. She is mine. She. Yeah, but sometimes, you know, teenagers come, young bachrim come, young girls come. They saw something and they're overwhelmed and now they're making a decision for the next 85 years. I said, listen, listen, listen. Maybe you're right, but maybe you're not right. <laughs> Let's figure this out, you know. But people don't realize because when the blood, the blood, <laughs> you know, the oven is burning, so the seichel is the the seichel is in the air. That's how it is, right? People don't think. I once, uh, I was once speaking at Duke University, Duke University, a few hundred students. So I was talking about dating from a Jewish perspective, dating and relationships. So <laughs> one of the students raises his hand and he says, uh, he says, do you, uh, in your world, do you touch the, your, your, your girlfriend before marriage? You know, are you together? So I said, no. So he starts laughing and he says, uh, <laughs> you're giving advice to students in Duke University in the 21st century about dating and marriage when you come from the Stone Age. You know, you're from before the Big Bang. Who today doesn't spend a few years, at least a few months, with your girlfriend, with your boyfriend, before you get married, right? <laughs> it was a very, it was a, it was a, it was a challenging moment. So I said, I still remember, I said that uh, on the contrary, on the contrary, I said, look, it's a fascinating thing. Look at the divorce rate today. What do you attribute that to? Our great-grandparents didn't live together, and they were married for so many years. They stayed married. Today, everybody lives together before the marriage, so they should stay married even longer because they already know everything. Why is it the other way around? So there's a lot of different reasons. I said one of them maybe has to do with the fact that what happens is when you get physically involved, you're so overwhelmed and you're intoxicated and maybe you never take the time to really connect to the personality of the person. And then two or three years later, you're bored from each other. People's bodies change. You find somebody else. People's looks change. I said in the system of halach, in the system of Judaism, dating is designated for one purpose only, to get to know the pnimius, my values, my personality, who I am as a person. Those things are not going to change. They're going to be there till you're 70, 80, 90 your sense of humor, your views on life, what are your priorities, what do you live for, what makes you happy, what makes you sad, what are your deep, deep primal drives, if you could know them when you're dating, <laughs> what are your insecurities, what are your skeletons, what are your blessings, what are your challenges. This is where people could connect. Of course the physique is important, of course physicality is important, but it must be a continuum of trust, of loyalty, of dedication. I said, so don't, 
dismiss your heritage as just being foolish and stupid because maybe that's what allows for a much better relationship. And I got a big applause and then a bunch of girls came over to me after. They said, wow, wow, wow. So should we really, by when we date, we shouldn't uh, touch any? I said, listen, you're going to have to figure that out. You know, they're living in Duke as a secular environment. But I just wanted to tell you, you know, just be cautious about these things. So that's what the Torah is telling us here. You know, don't jump in to a relationship because during war you were lustful. Take the time, take the patience. The Gilches Rosh, here again, she shaves her hair. So that's Alter Rebbe said a mimer on this mitzvah, ki samache. On that mimer, this mimer of the Tzamech Tzedek is based. What did we hear from the Alter Rebbe? So now he shifts right away, as, always, as often, from the concrete mitzvah to the spiritual mitzvah. Eishesifas Toyer has a literal meaning. It also has a spiritual meaning. What is it? What is it? Says the Tzamech Tzedek, which means the beautiful one, represents the soul that does not become manifested in the body. It remains hovering above the body. Above the body doesn't mean only on top of the body also. But it means it's that energy level that the person doesn't consciously feel and experience in their visceral self necessarily. Shenikraskein, why is it called Yufastayar? Al Sibas Hayosin Mshechis Mabchinas Klolus Kamabchinos. Because the soul is never one dimensional. It comes from the cohesiveness, from the synthesis and integration of various divine qualities, from this always comes beauty. is just like physically, one color is nice, but it's not so beautiful. When something has multicolors, it has diverse colors, it's pleasing to the eye's palate, it's attractive, it's appealing. Tiferes means beauty is always about symmetry and harmony. It encompasses chesed and gvura as is known. Chesed is an acronym. It's known to those who know Kabbalah, mysticism. So what's your fast tire? Beauty. What creates beauty? Symmetry. Harmony. Various forces, various sounds, voices, colors, aspects coming together, creating synthesis, integration. One color is also beautiful. And something that's one-dimensional also has a beauty. But real beauty always comes from balance, from integration. Just like think of a symphony. Think of a choir. You know, the voice is merging. Think of a, uh, of a song, of a ballad, where diverse notes come together to create a melody, to create a niggin, to create a song. Think of a piece of art. Think of a, a physique of a body. It's all about symmetry. And when the symmetry is balanced, that's what creates yoifi. So he says, the neshama is called yifas toyar. Which neshama? Major part of the soul is not embodied. It doesn't manifest itself consciously. It has an impact on me. You know, sometimes you'll say, I, this person has a halo around them, right? This person... It gives off a light. It's not tangible. It's not something you said. 
It's something intangible. It's a halo. Or you'll, you'll speak about the subconscious that impacts you. Internal drives that impact. But I don't know them. I don't know them. That's all part of the neshama that's not manifested. But sometimes it may be responsible for much more of my personality than anything else. Right? Most of ourselves we don't know. We, I don't know most parts of myself. So the neshama, most of the neshama is not manifested in the body. It's there. It's all there. But it's called makif. It hovers above us. That's called yifastayar. Why? Because it's not one-dimensional. It's made up of a symmetry, a diversity. It's multicolorful. It encompasses, it encompasses many aspects of divine energy. What's ashes yifastayar? What's The wife, which is beautiful. So he says it means the wife of the beautiful one. The part of the soul that is manifested in the body. The part of the self that's manifest, that's called Aishas Yifas She is the wife of the soul. What does it mean, wife of the soul? She receives, just like a woman who absorbs, absorbs, and intensifies and gives back to the husband. She is the ultimate mekabal, which becomes the ultimate mashpia through mekabal. It's like the earth. You put in the seed and the earth gives you back a tree. The husband, the husband grants the seed of life and the woman absorbs it and conceives it together with the egg and it develops. She gives us a child. She gives the world a child. So she's the mekabal that receives and absorbs so the neshama that goes into the body, what do I mean goes in? It's manifested and revealed through the body, the part of self that's manifested through the body, receives, she's makabal from the soul that's not manifested in the body, so she's called Aishas Yifas Toyar, the wife, the spouse of the Yifas Toyar. Now this Aishas Yifas Toyar was in a war, and she was kidnapped. The enemy was taken into captivity. POWs, prisoners of war. What does this mean? It means that our beautiful wife, Aishas Yifas Toyar, is my soul is in captivity. It's an exile. Where is it an exile? It's an exile in my reptilian brain, in my mammalian brain, in my animal consciousness. Ubeguf. And it's in, in, it's in, it's in exile in my body, which I'm, I'm not recognizing its true values. It's stuck. It's stuck in my body or it's stuck in my reptilian brain. In other words, I don't have access to the f- expansiveness of the self. My divinity is, is, is limited. It's narrow. It's in exile. Shomishchidachivya. The body, if it's not refined, is defined in Zayar as the skin. The, the, the hide, the skin of the snake. Sha'az midas lavushin nefeshabamas sheltamal nefeshalikisal direction is barbalukutamanum chelikalaf perikidalev. And then the midas, the midas are the dispositions, the characteristics, and the garments of the animal soul. They rule the divine soul, as explained in Tanya chapter 11. In the war of life, you're going to find in captivity the beautiful woman which is your soul. You're going to have find that your soul is in captivity. And what do you have to do? And you want to take her out of prison. You want to take her out of captivity. You want to take her out of exile. You want that she should run the house. 
You want that this beautiful woman should rule. You want that the body and the animal soul should be a continuum to the divine consciousness, not the other way around. Not the other way around that my, my prefrontal lobes and my godly soul are stuck in my reptile and in my crocodile and in my lizard and in my mammal. I want it to be the other way around. I want that all the parts of my brain and my consciousness should be a continuum and a flow of my divine consciousness. So then what happens? The Torah says, You want to desire the soul. I want the soul. And you cut, you shave her here. What does this mean? Who's here do you save? Your, your, your soul's here? Peter said, Alter Rebbe said, V'chashaktaba means, Hu'inyin ishabchus hamidus royas. First thing is, you have to want your soul. V'chashaktaba, you desire this woman. It's not just if you desire this woman. You desire this woman. I have to be able to learn about the transformation of the midas that seem so negative, but really, they can all be transformed. Because essentially, all the midas are survival coping mechanisms. So when I release my soul and I see what I really need, I can transform my negative midas. As the Alter Rebbe explained, what's shaving the hair of the head? Sometimes I'm not ready to transform the midas, but at least I could remove the filthy garments that my animal soul got dressed in in order to survive. I can't always transform the internal dynamics yet. That's v'chashakta, but at least I could take off, I could take off the reisha, the levushim tzayim. What are these levushim tzayim? This that Tzamech Tzedek is going to explain in the next piece, based on what he heard from the Alter Rebbe, which is going to bring us back to understanding the whole concept of here in Judaism, which will help us understand this whole sugya. Be'ezer Hashem, we will continue this uh, next time. In the meantime, I wish you all a beautiful day. Question. I once heard about the Rakat Shavar that the reason he didn't cut his hair because he said that physically it hurt him. It was like cutting nerves because of his brilliance. Yes, it's, it's possible. They said that it was very hard for him. It was like something alive in his hair. Like it's, I don't know what that means scientifically, but... Apparently, it literally hurt him because of his brilliance. Now, it's going to be explained in this mimer what here is, and then we'll understand. Some said, Samach Tzedek told the when he was a child to learn Maseches Nazir. And he felt that he had a connection to Nazirus, even though he wasn't officially a Nazir. Um, others say that he, for the Rakachav, he says the hardest day for him is Shabbos, because he can't write down his thoughts, and his mind was overwhelmingly brilliant. So some say, just the time when he would take a haircut and take off his yamlik, he wouldn't be able to think Tyra, so he decided that it's not for him. You have to understand that was a person that 24 hours a day, there was nothing but Tyra. He was, it wasn't just that he learned. His mind was of a different mind. He saw the world through Tyra. It was something unique in many generations. It's a very interesting thing what happened with the Rakachava. The Pasha didn't cut his hair. Question. Thank you for explaining this mitzvah of H.S. Yafas Torah, which always perturbed me. Yeah, it's not an easy mitzvah. It's, it's a hard mitzvah. But I'm saying you have to understand what happens during war. If, if you ignore it, you know, eh, just, just tell them to be moral. It's very nice to tell people to be moral when all humanity, when, when they're facing a crisis that shatters the basic 
structures that keep us civil. You know, it's like, uh, imagine chas v'shalom, people are stuck in a situation where there's no food and there's no water. You know what they do to each other? You know what they do to each other? It's very hard to judge people during such moments because uh, if you ever heard of the Jews in the camps, you know, how they, the, the starvation, it's... Your humanity is taken away from you. And when your humanity is taken away from you, things are dangerous. So I actually find it comforting that the Torah acknowledges how difficult it is, how, how insane it is. Yeah, it's, it's not, it's not a simple thing. Okay. Have a beautiful day, everybody. Thank you for coming. This class is brought to you by the yeshiva.net. Please help us continue the classes. Make even a small contribution at www.theyeshiva.net slash donate.